Hi everyone, I'm Steve Gilchrist. I'm a project director at Grosvenor. Past life, I was an engineer and I've gone through a couple of different roles and ended up on the client side in a development team. I work on the Mayfair and uh, Belgravia estates for Grosvenor. Currently, I work on a project called South Malton Triangle, which is a large, complex development, a mixed use, uh, just opposite Bond Street and New Crossrail, Elizabeth Line Station. And over the last couple of years, I've got kind of more involved in circular economy, particularly material reuse, and then even more drilled down into that, the, the sort of steel reuse side of things. From Ackroyd Lowry, I'm Oliver Lowry. And I'm John Ackroyd. And this is Urban Forecast, the show where we talk to the people defining the future of our cities. We discuss their backgrounds, what drives them, and the insights they've learned along the way. This is a podcast for anyone who's interested in how we live, work or play in the cities of the future what that means for the built environment today. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Gilchrist. I'm a project director at Grosvenor. Past life, I was an engineer and I've gone through a couple of different roles and ended up on the client side in a development team. I work on the Mayfair and uh, Belgravia estates for Grosvenor. Currently, I work on a project called South Malton Triangle, which is a large, complex development of mixed use uh, just opposite Bond Street and uh, New Crossrail, Elizabeth Line Station. And... Over the last couple of years, I've got kind of more involved in circular economy, particularly material reuse, and then even more drilled down into that, the sort of steel reuse side of things. And I run an event, write a newsletter now on just stuff happening in the industry. And I guess that's what's brought us here today to have a chat. That was brilliant. Yeah, you absolutely nailed that introduction. Thank you very much, Steve. So straight into the questions, would you be able to give us a sort of summary of what the circular economy means at quite a high level yeah i always when i think of this go back to there's, there's kind of a diagram that looks like layers of an onion it's uh, i think it's an ellen MacArthur diagram and that's that kind of has different loops that, that loop back around on themselves so if you imagine if you use the material and create a product out of it and then come to the end of its use in a building for example then you can you can take that material you could do different things that are all technically some form of kind of recycling or reuse some of them are to reuse a beam in its existing state so it gets reused as a beam again that's the highest value reuse and that's what people are pushing for when we really talk about sector economy and then there's different ways of looping back and reusing that that material or that item so for example you could chop it up you could use it as something that's in a smaller form or you could rework it or even melt it down and reuse it again to, as a raw material and create a new product and steel is quite an interesting product because it can be melted down and reused again like that whereas something like timber doesn't really work or concrete those things when you break it down say concrete into a, a crushed aggregate then you're not really going to turn that back into cement and concrete that's going to be used again in its kind of purpose so the point of it is to understand there's different kind of ways or levels of applying the circular economy and there's kind of high value ways where you use it as close to its existing use as you found it and then lesser ways where you can effectively still participate in that reuse but it's you end up a bit more in the recycling territory which is something that i think the industry has been doing fairly well over recent years but we're trying to we're trying to break more into the circular economy side of things and so is it your background as an engineer has that informed specifically your interest in steel as the as the your sort of bit part of the circular economy you're passionate about or is it because steel naturally lends itself to being taken out and then put back into projects I actually think it's the latter. I, like, the engineering side of me is just it's kind of interested in structures and how to build stuff and put it together. That That's baked into me and part of the why you like the building and the construction industry. But frankly, 
the kind of the steel reuse thing is because this is hard to do. It's really complicated when you think about all the different types of materials and how do you grade things and really understand the quality that you're dealing with when you think about timber or something like that, where there's so many different things that could have happened to that bit of timber, and so many different types of timber, so many different ways it could have been treated originally. So there's just almost infinite variations and in how would you categorize that? to give somebody confidence that they can reuse it in a kind of major scale. Whereas steel is, put it at the event last year, steel is steel, and it can actually be melted down and reused, or it can easily be tested. And if it's not had kind of fatigue issues with it, which often happens at the connections and those things can be chopped away, leave you with a nice clean beam or column, an element to use, then section size, the grade with a quick bit of testing. And so it actually makes itself quite easy to do relatively speaking i'm not saying that it is easy but relatively i think that's why i still find itself at the front of this because people can get their head around it and play around with some ideas and then hopefully some of the ways of dealing with that and the ways of working and testing and things could then perhaps flow into other material i know the questions that john wants to ask so i might just hand over because i can see him itching to, to ask about sort of the practicalities of how some of that process occurs yeah i think it's just if we or anyone else listening to this wanted to specify let's just talk about steel and we'll come back to some of the other stuff later but if we wanted to specify steel how do you go about it you've got hundreds often thousands of pieces of steel in a building how would our engineers or we as architects director engineers or teams actually start using it in reality definitely just get that out there on the table early and if a design team is aware that's a plan or that's an intention then they can and they just have that in the back of their mind because it might affect some of the different ways they draw up members or size members and things. And maybe we'll touch on like loose fit and things in the later on. But um, yeah, have that kind of embedded in the team, that, that idea. There's a bit of a chicken and egg because you could try and design so that you're using exact members that are available, but you're probably designing quite early and are you actually going to have that stock available to you when you need it? Alternatively, just try and design sensibly with a bit of capacity there and use use common section sizes. And then when you're ready, you're going to look to the, there's a couple of different players in the market now. There's EMR, there's Cleveland Steel and Tubes. I'm sure there'll be others that are joining the party that are, are now kind of holding stock lists of steel that they've got out of existing buildings. And Basically, engineers are looking at that and then starting to try and marry up what so is available. Okay, I need a 203, yeah. whatever, yeah. and then they can go, we've got a stuck pile of 100 yeah. of those beams or whatever. So it might be that you do a mix and match. In Absolutely, reality. yeah. yeah. And yeah. I think if you're too picky and you say you want to do 100% reuse, then, you know, you might get to 90%. If you said, if you commit to 100, that you won't do the 90, do nothing. I'm having a conversation on one of my projects about exactly that at the moment, that they... We were intending for 100%, but we might be nearer 80 or 85. And and then who fills in with new steel? Is it that same supplier or is it the kind of more typical supply chain? And some of the engineers and contractors are actually writing scripts now to cross-check and marry up what's what's needed in their models versus what's available on stock lists. Yeah, I can so imagine can, that, yes, that comes out of Reddit yeah. or AfterCAD. Yeah. As I say, if you've got that kind of process or idea in early, then I think people are ready to try those things if you try and, and also procurement needs to be considered in amongst that because if you haven't, haven't set things up for that then it's a bit of a surprise when you try and break the supply chain and ask them to receive different material from different people that they don't yeah. recognize i guess the other question of course thinking about developers and contractors and stuff is what's the price like price <laughs> at the moment is different <laughs> views on price 
at the moment, I see some conversations where there's a slight discount, but I think that the kind of principle of why there's a discount is that in theory, there are some other costs you incur, like extra testing and things. So if you add that back together, you net off to where you were going to be if you just bought a British steel. Yeah. That said, it doesn't account for the carbon saving. So the carbon saving could be drastically lower. So it could be two and a half thousand tons of carbon per yeah per ton of steel per typical steel product. And you could be down at 50 tons of carbon per ton of steel yeah, if amazing. you reuse. And that's based on 50 tons associated with the testing. If you take that into account on the cost of carbon perhaps going up, then um, it's easy to see how in yeah, the future there's going to be a different kind of mechanism to price if those things are taken into account. But at the moment, I think the kind of cost or the expense is more about how the logistics, yeah, the logistics, the extra bandwidth it takes for a project team, surveys and things like that. Yeah, so it'd be interesting to see, see where that goes. Yeah, we're definitely going to try it. I think with, say, if you went to someone like EMR, would they test the steel for you? Um, are they like, or do you have to then get it? Because that, I think, contractor probably just go, I want to know it's a 203 and it works, or would we have to post test it or whatever? EMR are definitely seeing the potential, and they, I'm talking to them tomorrow actually, but they were showing me last week that they, they're developing a kind of material passport. Yeah. Uh, so that will basically follow the SCI spec for testing for reused materials. I said it's a good start because it's becomes a bit of a language that people in the industry know and engineers can can understand. And then also people like insurers can get comfortable with that. But yeah, we do the testing and then they would effectively give you a, a bit of steel like a stockist would. And in theory, that goes into your supply chain to fabricate. And if you could only get 85% of what you need, then the other 15% could come from a different stockist. And it all comes together to make up the whole pie that the fabricator, at least that's how I see it. It's great. Ollie, I'm sure you got some other questions. I thought it would be interesting. That's the theory. Steve, I know <laughs> you've been trying to get, you've been using this on South Modern Triangle, just to talk us through in practice, some of the challenges and barriers and how you've gone about overcoming them. We definitely haven't achieved it yet on South Modern Triangle. It's uh, the South Modern Triangle, for anyone who doesn't know, is a it's a large project. It's uh, it's kind of 500 million growth development value split into what will be a couple of different building contracts with different design teams. And so one piece is particularly large to the others, of which we call the North and South building. That we have Skanska and McGee on PCSAs there. And on a smaller element, which is called South Molten Street, we have the red construction involved. And it's actually the smaller bit that is leading the way. We need about 100 tonnes on that, and that smaller project. And it's mostly elements that are going to be used on existing buildings to kind of uh, create openings like goalposts, box frames and things. And so that actually lent itself quite well. We've got Elliot Wood on that project who are able to go and look at the stock lists and try and quickly work out if they if think things can mesh together. And we think they can. So we've been working on kind of purchase agreement and how we can work with EMR in that case to properly buy this stuff and do it in a sophisticated way that fully sits embedded in the supply chain for red. And so we haven't achieved that yet, but we're well on the way. And I'd say most of the way there to be able to share that journey that we've been on, which was the ambition and then working it through the refinement of the elements that have been drawn by the engineer to, to start to marry that up with the, with, with the available stock. And then on the larger projects, we basically have a lot of very finely tuned steel already because it's a 
carefully framed that the building steps back a lot there's little transfers all throughout it and so it doesn't really lend itself to to reuse or it didn't we've done one turn of the wheel in design terms which is simplify and go away from fabricated sections which are really heavy on on carbon and got that got back to rolled sections so we're going to hopefully be buying low carbon steel which is you go back to that Ella MacArthur circular economy definition then what we've done there is at least we're going to be able to purchase reused content steel which has a lower carbon value but the next turn of the wheel is to try and uh, marry up and both of the tendering contractors looked at this and thought there was a massive opportunity now that we've got rolled sections is to see what we can do with stock lists and see if we can start to swap out the design with the elements that are there into reused steel and we've got a couple of thousand tons of steel in that project so if we could do that on a large scale that would be that'd be pretty significant but we've got to do all of that and work it in with the procurement and the ongoing program which and this project is pretty large and significant for Grosvenor and our joint venture partner Mitsui Fudasan so I have to try and manage their sort of ambition there with the reality of project life. And is it something that you are finding needs to have a program impact to make enough time to do this, do you have to add in extra time or do you just start your procurement earlier? Is How do you go about allowing for that sort of late decision-making, I suppose, about where this supply chain element is going to come from? I think the large project that I'm talking about now is an example where if you don't have this embedded right from the start, then you know, it's, you're know you trying to shoehorn something in and kind of play a bit of catch-up. For us, we've we needed to procure it in a safer way, so base design. And now we're looking at how, I mean, this is a very live issue, and we're looking at how we can do a feasibility and an exercise now with Skanska, who are, who are on a BTSA, how we could test whether this is possible and then how it would be incorporated into the contract. So we, we haven't solved that issue yet, and we've got we've got a kind of plan A, which is to go with the low carbon but new, new steel products. It's interesting you have all of the different versions on one project where you've got an element of retrofit which is leaving essentially the structure in situ then you're introducing actually proper sort of just entire steel sections that are taken out of old projects and reused and then you've got the next level which is to recycle the material so it's and then new steel so you've got you've got that full onion diagram all happening in one project yeah i think we might end up there because it's probably no surprise when you step back and think about it but you know no one solution is going to fit everything and we've got such a breadth of buildings and uh, different parts of this project that yeah uh, it's easy to see why we'll end up in that place yeah can i ask at the moment what happens with steel typically on a site where you've got a building where they dem- demolish mm. it is that still generally recycled and melted down yeah so there is quite a good element of recycling recycling going on because there must be a lot of steel coming off existing sites that are going exactly and back to that first point where i said over recent years the industry has got very good at diverting from landfill and recycling but it's the, just the issue is recycling is the kind of lowest form of that reuse because there's a lot of carbon in melting it down and really yeah and you actually the irony is you, you would get penalized by the companies that would take it such as emr who are obviously seeing a way to pivot part of their business to be more steel reuse rather than just recycling but their name is emr european metal recycling and they would you would be penalized if you didn't chop the thing up into small lumps because it's then ready to go in containers and ready to go into the furnaces now they're having to look at things differently and actually how can you retain as much length as possible so it changes the dynamic that comes into another question really which is for developers architects engineers specifying buildings now or in the near future 
what do you think we should be thinking about so that the steel and other products could be re- reused? It's definitely designed for disassembly. Uh, I think generally is something that it's hard to measure. So I think if how can you reward a team or a building for being designed for disassembly? Because there's not really a metric that you go, oh, we're a five-star, therefore this is better than a four-star. So if you spend extra money or time on that, where's the reward? And also the fact that you could sell a building, if there's no value attributed to that, then I think there's sort of incentive for doing that is only driven by the client. So that yeah. some, somehow that needs to be better measured or explained so that the cost it, yeah, it's a lot cheaper to so, extend so your work. Yeah. yeah. And that might come back to our whole life carbon assessments and things like that. But with steel, actually, there's there's always gonna need be need for new steel. Um and so Actually, you don't have to fight it too hard to find the balance. We mentioned fatigue before. Generally, the way that I think things are going to happen is you just chop the connections, drop the members that you need, the main sections, and it's the connections, the sort of knobbly bits that are potentially about high loading, maybe not great, difficult to defabricate and things like that. So not really lending themselves to, to reuse. Those are the bits that can go and find themselves into the furnaces and get remade into new steel. And actually, there's a there's definitely something about design for disassembly, but you don't necessarily need to sort of go mad, particularly with steel. I think, and it's I think the key is trying to find that balance of where do you focus your energy. You just mentioned there about embodied carbon, and I've seen on some of your newsletters about Part Z. Um, yeah, there's been talked about quite a lot. The builders, could you just explain a bit more about what the idea of possible Part Z for buildings is? These guys are trying to. It's also retro first and this sort of stuff. And they're about Grade Three. Will on last week, he's kind of got a bit of traction in the, in the news about Grade Three should there be a Grade Three listing. All of this is trying to put more emphasis on circular economy and reuse. And Part Z is a proposal for an extra building race document. I support all those things. I just, with the grade three example, I wrote that I'm not sure it's the answer. You know, planning policy is already complicated and takes a lot of time. And you're, all you're doing is flipping the kind of narrative. Why we have planning policy, we need to demonstrate to the planners why we want to do something so we can get it determined. And if everything's just not allowed to be demolished and until you can prove otherwise, well, how's that different to us persuading the planners that we can do whatever the proposal is? And I think as long as you've got justification with that, yeah. which is coming through things like circular economy statements and things, then on the grade three kind of planning side, I just, sure, I right. I'm not really convinced unless somebody's got a better way of putting it, that it just feels like more regulation, more, more, regulation, more rules. Now, part Z, I think, yeah, because that can apply to a far wider spectrum, perhaps, because that breakthrough is just large buildings. I think there's a place for that, absolutely. But really, I, I'm more about trying to make sure that there's, you know, people are doing the right thing generally for the right reasons. The policy and things, I don't, don't tend to get too involved in. Yeah. <laughs> and the more policies and rules that are there, the more groups and things we have to jump through. If you can if you can get the philosophies right, then hopefully people are doing things and the, the market helps drive that. Where there's value, the cost of carbon, things like that. I totally agree. We're doing a lot of retrofit as a passion of ours. And the amount of different conflicting regulations make retrofit very difficult. And I do think, although I support trying to make the environment better, it, some of that regulation, like you say, can make it very hard to do retrofit and very unaffordable. So I think it is trying to, yeah, there is probably a challenge going forward of trying to simplify that to really drive it and how those building regs and planning and everything comes together. So I think it's definitely hard when to talk about 
decisions that people used to make up maybe as a client cost and quality time you know, if there was a variation or something and now you know you need to add carbon or then how do you calculate the carbon is it in the moment or is it like whole life carbon are you making something that a decision that impacts the energy intensity and usage over a number of years so do you have to factor those things in and now we've got so many other kind of factors into the decisions that we need to make if we want to get to the optimum answer and if we can work harder on trying to make sure we are well informed and can make those decisions for the right reasons market with costs that married up with carbon and how that's played out over a number of years then I prefer people to be focusing on how to do that and get to the what, what should just be the right answer rather than having to just follow lots and lots, lots, and lots of regulations laws and regulations and things without really seeing, oh, this is just getting me to a good answer. Totally agree. I guess if and when carbon's more correctly costed into numbers, as in buying the steel will cost you less because it has less carbon, and then you might, the carbon could be possibly integrated into the cost well, will, factor. Will the steel cost more? Because if you add the the steel new steel and the cost of carbon that you can have to pay as an offset for example and then you say here i can get reused steel which has a very small amount of carbon then in theory you could pay more for that reused steel but still in total be paying less if you add it exactly because the offset, yeah that's what i'm saying if you price correctly the amount yeah. of carbon being spent if carbon was in there are various moves towards mm -hmm. that if you price carbon correctly for the damage it's doing then yeah new steel would be far more it would have a much higher offset cost mm. yeah yeah exactly but something on offset is coming out today okay yeah. i'll keep an eye out ollie did you want to pick up anything else i agree with you both that it's only through incentivization that you can probably get this sea change so either by penalizing by using carbon as a metric it's negative if you're using more of it but and that's it's only through incentivization rather than more policy will you see this sort of behavior change i think from reading an article that you had in your newsletter recently the sort of there was five kind of suggestions about how to how you could work more with circular economy principles in steel so challenging and setting the brief early alongside engagement with the supply chain being flexible on program procurement and price or the mechanisms behind these to your point john deconstructing it's not about just buying materials but also how you take them apart again and then focusing on the long term when making decisions and sharing your experience with the industry these points there's a couple that and i know these aren't you didn't write these but i think you were just republishing somebody else's i think being flexible on program procurement and price sounds like the antithesis to what your job as a project manager on a decent sized construction project should be what you've reposted that that advice what's your thoughts on how realistic it is for me a lot of that comes back to the procurement if we procure things in the kind of traditional way that we have done for many years then you know supply chains are complicated and hard to unpick from a client's perspective because you really only get exposure to the top contractor or subcontractors and we end up completing a design and then giving it to a contractor and they send it down their supply chain Get all the information back and we try and agree a price between client and contractor and that doesn't really lend itself to to reuse or steel reuse i don't think i've been trying to highlight that procurement might need to be more who's holding risk because at the moment we want to get our price and we and the contractor can give us a price but it's because they know what they're going to buy it's off the shelf they know the quality they're, 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 there's a supply chain established if you're trying to buy something reused 
the contractor probably hasn't been able to go and find all the things at the point there you would typically go into contract and say so there'd be lots of things left perhaps open-ended and there's a question which is do you need to specify differently so that there's somehow an incentive to follow the spec which is the sort of route a which is to reuse material to go off and find it but if you can demonstrate that you couldn't find it in a sensible time frame does that default to you can then use spec type b which is which is a new product. And so I was trying to explore some of those bits of thinking with, with people last year. Now, I don't think we're going to solve that, but certainly not anytime quickly, but just having a bit more of an open mind as to how you go through the journey of a project. And then if you pull that even further, design, we've touched on loose fit at the start, but if you design something and typically you go through the reba stages, you fine-tune it, you fine-tune it, you fine-tune it. And then by the end, when you go out to tender, there's only certain number of steel beams that fit fit that or there's a different product or timber sizes or something because there's a zone that's been absolutely fine-tuned to either maximize floor to ceiling height or wall thickness and things can you instill a little bit of flexibility to be kept by the design team and that might give a contractor a bit more scope to go and find some secondhand reused materials because there's just a little bit more the question of value reading. though isn't it because i'm thinking that it's value engineered down so you start off with exactly. the engineer will build more tolerance or whatever yeah. into their design and as they're pushed to push and you really refine it down to the exact loads and things then yeah. you can be that's only that beam almost. this is where it gets complicated with it where do you make the decision and why so you're, you're basically be holding back like increasing your value on it, something, say a floor area, because the wall thicknesses or something haven't been reduced and therefore your floor area hasn't increased during the design stage. But maybe now you've got value in the design in the sense that there's more opportunity to reuse and not pay as much or to reduce your carbon, but you won't realise that until much later. So how's the metric as a client? Yeah, also, how do you make that decision or decide when is the right time to slim it down or keep it? And there's the client buying it to sell it or client buying it to keep it as a, a you may have different views on if they can sell it and get a good price then they don't necessarily mm. they're not necessarily incentivized unless yeah. it's packaged up in a way that gives them an extra five percent on the sale value because yeah. oh we can it's how do you if you can't open your mind to some of that stuff then you're just always going to follow the same kind of sequence of reba stages procurement and buying with the contractor i think and it's not to say that I've broken out of that because it's all right talking about it here, but then you get the project pressures of the actual <laughs> yeah. real things. And once there's a program in place, it's very hard to tell people that that's got longer. <laughs> you want it to be longer for something that's hard to justify in the moment. You might not be able to justify it until much later. Yeah, these are some of the challenges. And I think, yeah, just going back to having a bit of an open mind. And yeah, if you can give your design team a bit longer, again, Sounds like a stupid thing to do, but if you can give the design team a bit longer, if they can understand what's in an existing building and have time to go and do some surveys before they've got through Reba 2, then they might be able to reuse more of that building. But, yeah. but inevitably, they've already gone on too long a journey through the Reba stages and are probably only at Reba 3 by the time that they get any survey information. And by then, you've already gone in for planning and stuff so yeah you've set the tone of how much has been retained or, or removed in the building too late yeah yeah no i totally agree i think getting more sophisticated and useful information quick in surveys is just makes such a huge difference mm. and that's a challenge we've been i've been playing around my new iphone 14 and you can go in and do a point cloud without having to get your point counts of air in i also just think starting to be able to tag items that would then go into bim or something mm. has got to be the 
it's got to be the way forward. We did a, an innovation project where we had an, an Elliot Wood, and McGee helped with that actually, and we had some surveys and things done. And actually, we had a real project. It wasn't the project I've talked about now, but it's a couple of different buildings. And we said, we're not asking you to finish the design to stage one at the moment. We're just asking you to go and think about and look at the buildings, think about what you might do, understand them, do some surveys and things. And then after three or four months, we'll then give you the normal kind of design period for stage one. And so that meant that they had such free reign to go and understand and think that they were far more ready to design appropriately to to what was there in no, front it's of great. It's just uh, but know, not every project has <laughs> it. That was an innovation project. And but the, the feedback from all of those people involved was that it's great to have that luxury of time. And you know, I actually think you give any reader stage and you think about when decisions are made, either it will be in the first 20, 30% of that period when the actual decisions are made and everything else is about coordination and drawing and topping and tailing the pack. We're trying to re, re, rework it to fit to yeah. the, the, the consented scheme. Or so if I say, oh, you've got 12 weeks to do a reboot design and you get some survey information on week three or four or five, you know, probably you've already decided it's steel frame or this is happening. You've made that decision too early, but if you had the luxury of a bit of time before, then maybe you would make a better overall. Yeah, it's all the challenges with the way money work, the money flow is that clients don't always want to pay up front as money, even though there may be benefit down the line, so it's justified. Do it quicker, do it cheaper. I want the cash flow pushed out because we haven't got approval yet, so I don't want to spend anything until I can see that this stacks up. But they're all things that work against what we're saying. Mm-hmm. No, it's very interesting. I think it's amazing work you're doing, and it sounds a bit like the pioneering work that you're doing, we'd love to get involved as well, is going to maybe push it forward. But then at some point, there needs to be, I think what you were saying about like carbon, I think if carbon was costed properly, you could get rid of it. You could have a bonfire of loads of regulation because it's so complicated, all the different bits of this, that and the other, which is really all it's trying to do is price maybe carbon and material properly and at the moment they're not and i know there'd be probably big industry pressure against doing that for all sorts of vested interests but that would be the biggest change wouldn't it yeah i'm definitely pro finding a way that the market drives itself because if i said carbon was priced higher then that would drive some different behaviors people would think harder or earlier about about some of those some of those things we Hopefully, don't just go and keep slapping on rule after rule. If we can, some of the things find their own level, then the incentives and behaviour should find. Exactly, because a lot of the developers we've been talking to recently are very frustrated about all the different regulations and then the, how to interpret them, how to price them, how to manage all of them, and it becomes very difficult. And if you could simplify it down to the base ingredient money, which they understand, yeah. and it'd be factored into that, I don't know, it just seems like a, a, the way to go. Yeah, and I've said this a couple of times recently, and somebody else said, oh, I actually agree with that and had been thinking about the same point, but the quantity surveyor adds up and works out quantities and we only associate them with pound coins but actually it's a bit bonkers that we ask our sustainability guys to try and work out what the carbon is because they only go and use the models and ask the qs questions but is there a world in the future where you know volumes of material and the carbon associated with them are just another part of a cost plan yeah um, i think and, it has to and be, run yeah. by the qs whereas the sustainability consultant is more focused on bigger picture and the intensity of carbon and energy in, in a building and the performance rather than measuring it which 
I think QS could find that way. More money goes back into design or thought at the beginning of the process. But you know, how many decisions. more consultants do we have now? I mean, we have probably a team of oh, 25 yeah. consultants or something on a project. And I'm not saying none of them does a valuable thing, but it can get quite complicated to mm. manage. Very accurate BIM models these days. And I just feel like QS is plus AI plus BIM. <laughs> it's got to be a solution. The role of, the, of counting the carbon and the cost more accurately within the next five years. I'd imagine that's just something that will change. Absolutely, and I think it's for me. It should just the two should be hand in hand. You shouldn't have to look over here for cost and over here for carbon because really, you in your head you really need to convert carbon into pound coins anyway. That's because that, exactly. if, if you get that marketplace and market centers right, then it all comes back to pound coins ultimately because there's value in in good product. There's value in low carbon and not paying for or other penalties if you can find a way to bring all those things back to one metric then that's going to help decision making that's fantastic ollie do you want to hand over to you for any questions or wrap up no i think just uh, steve your newsletter we subscribe to if other people want to subscribe to the newsletter is that the best way of hearing your thoughts and getting in touch with you yeah, my newsletter is good. Uh, it's stevesnewsletter.com, nice and simple. And so, yeah, so you can look at some of the articles there or if you're happy to, then please subscribe and then uh, you'll get them sent to straight to your inbox. And I'm quite active on LinkedIn. Look me up on, on there as well. Uh, thank you so much for your time. It's been really insightful. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks so much, Steve. Great to have you. Thank you. If you enjoyed the show, then please subscribe and give us a review, ideally a five-star one. And uh, if you want to know more, please go to AckroydLowry.com or follow us on Twitter at AckroydLowry and Instagram with the same. This podcast supports LandAid, the property industry charity that brings together the sector to deliver life-changing projects for young people who really need it. Visit www.LandAid.org to find out how you can help end youth homelessness. <laughs>